we're in each other's lives for a reason and we need to listen to that and pay attention to that. And Rebecca has incredible discernment that I don't have in wisdom many times. Um, and then sometimes I'm a little more of the risk taker and, you know, we'll push a little bit and get ahead. And then I have to just be patient and, and see if she comes along on that or, or if she has a real check about why that's not what we should do. And I have to pay attention to that, but it's lots of, we don't really make the list of like pros and cons. It's a lot of just long conversations and it feels like there's a moment where when we've said yes to things, we've both just reached that moment and been clear. And then two days later, we regret the decision. No, we meaning me. Rebecca yeah. regrets, I don't know that we should really do this. And then we just process it again. And that's the real time we make a decision is after, you know, we kind of go backwards a little bit. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on a two-year journey. Asking the question, is it possible for both of us to live out our purpose, potentially even change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Yes. And today we have very, very fun guests with us. It's so fun to be with them. Man, they played such a huge role early on in my career. And and, our marriage. And our marriage. Yeah. They were my bosses. And we we were like still newlyweds. (laughs) They taught us so many Good, funny things about life and we raising were kids. Twenty and, and stupid and newlywed and didn't and know anything. Things on a whim. We did so many random things with them. So many fun things. So yeah, Gabe was your boss, but uh, he, he was. But he was also like just a great friend. Honestly, yes. like when I looked at him on the like we were talking today, I looked at him on the screen. I was like, man, I I miss him yes. as a friend. Yeah. Well, Gabe Lyons is the founder of Q Ideas, and he's an author. He's written multiple books. Multiple books. Yep. One called Unchristian, another one called Good Faith. And then Rebecca is also an author and a speaker, and she has a new book coming out that we really actually want to promote because it should be so good for our audience. It's called Rhythms of Renewal, and it's coming out October 1st, but they are currently now doing pre-release orders. So you can pre-release it right now on Amazon if you want to, but listen to this. It's Trading Stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. Mm, it's going to be really good. I need to read it right now. Yeah. You're a little anxious these days. <laughs> a little anxious these days. <laughs> Struggling we, through it. We are not making light of this. We're not I mean, making we it. Can, I'm fine with making light of it right now. I <laughs> okay. have had a rough okay, month. Okay, as long as you're making light of it I and can it's talk not about me. It. I've had a rough month. And it's people like Rebecca and others that are engaging topics like this that are making it easier for me. And so, uh, yeah, we can make light of it. Yeah, I've had a hard month. I've been very anxious. I've had a lot of stress. I'm trying to learn the difference between what stress and anxious is. So you anxiety. are going to buy this book. I'm going to buy it and read it. And, and everybody listening, it. y'all need to buy it too. Rhythms of Renewal by Rebecca Lyons. So here we go. I hope Rebecca's a bestseller with this book. She better be. Yeah. She will be. Okay, so I have three things to listen for. 
Oh yeah, I was about to. You were just going to jump right in. I I mean, everybody looks forward to this moment in the podcast (laughs) where I give the three things that they. Okay. I mean, what would they be looking for if they didn't hear my three things? Listen for what you want to say. They share their story of kind of. uh, They now have two children. um, One of which is just recently adopted. They have kids. 18 to 6. I'm giving too much, but the the story Say is... Say the word. Yeah, their engagement with two children with Down syndrome and the, the process that that's taken them through and the learning they've taken. Secondly, the chronic hustle. There you go. Leave it at that. Next one. You're not letting me explain no, anything No, you're not today. supposed to. That's the goal. It's it's piquing the interest, Not just babe. one. Not just two <laughs> things, Liz, for, but three things, people. The next the third thing. thing. The one question... To always ask your partner. It was really good. Okay, everybody, here we have Gabe and Rebecca Lyons. So Rebecca and I were friends in college. And in fact, we met uh, basically right after my high school year at a wedding of a mutual friend. It was the first place we met in Florida. I was in Virginia. She was a year ahead of me in college. I was about to go to college at a place called Liberty in Virginia. And we ended up starting to hang out our freshman year as friends and just had a blast together. We still recall the story of just this one evening where we just were telling jokes and stayed up all night just laughing and having fun as friends. We didn't kiss or anything. Yeah, nothing like that. And and it just... Not yet. We just <laughs> love hanging out with each other. And... We that were began, laughing hysterically at yeah. like three in the morning and annoying people around us that were trying to, I guess, sleep. We were like crashed, so like a bunch of us in some living room. It was random. <laughs> uh-huh. So the so the throughout our college years, we were just friends, always hung out. But separate. Uh, she, were you separate? Yeah. She dated, yeah. She dated uh-huh. someone else. Getting engaged to someone else. He wound up almost proposing to someone else. And then full circle moment. What was it? Three years later? Yeah. They're like, yeah, when I was a senior, essentially, yeah. we, we both ended up where we had, um, those relationships had ended and we were in a place where we were hanging out, having fun again. And laughing we were like, Wait, all the time. I wonder if we're supposed to pursue this. And then we just, we really fell in love over that next year. And the rest is history. Who made we the were, first move? Well, we were reluctant when we became like, when we were both single again, because we had always connected really well. And we talked, we would dream together. We would joke together, laugh. We had mutual friends. We would hang out. But I think we both knew that we had both come out of relationships and neither of us wanted to be the rebound for the other person. So we kept just being friends, but our friends would joke us, be like, you guys totally like each other. And so we were in denial for about six months. And then I guess it was about six or eight months later. Yeah. Gabe started um, flirting with another girl, and then it made me realize I, I actually really like him. But I'm not—I'm mad at him. I'm mad about this. <laughs> I'm mad at him because we've been playing like tag, almost like playing hard to get both of us, but yet both liking each other but not admitting it. And so when I was just finally acknowledging I actually do like him, and he flirted with this other girl, and it made me mad. Then I was like, fine, and I like stormed out of the room, and you know. Expected so that, him that to causes re- more serious conversation. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> read my mind. And then from then on, we're like, I think we want to like acknowledge that we're interested and we want to pursue something. Yeah. So technically I made the first move, but with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very indirect way. 
um, I know this is probably not going to like pass your um, your scale of like how we fell in love. So other people were kind of part of that situation. But once he said, I love you, I mean, I said, thank you because I was still scared of commitment. But then within a few more months, it was just like that thing. I think what happens when you start dating later and you've gone through a couple serious relationships, there is that caution because especially if you see real potential there, you're just so scared of messing it up again. Yeah. So I think that was what, that's why we were both reluctant up until that point. Gabe, how'd that thank you make you feel? <laughs> oh, really <good. laughs> when You put yourself out there. You're like, I'm going to go for it tonight. I remember taking her out on a great date and just, you know, the buildup in my mind, I'm going to finally say it. Cause we'd said to each other, like we're reserving those words for the person we really think we're going to marry. And we're not going to, we're not going to just throw those words around lightly. So when I pronounced my dying love for Rebecca, <laughs> she said, thank you. <laughs> it, was it was so like, special. Oops. <laughs> yeah. no, it wasn't because I dismissed it. It was because I wanted to make sure I was going to be equally sincere. Yeah. And if I needed a little longer, I had intended to end every relationship prior to that. But Gabe was such a challenge for me, like in a frustrating way, but also in a healthy way that I knew this wasn't going to be something I would want to run from again. Mm. And so that's why I said, thank you. initially. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that playing out on like a bachelorette episode. (laughs) I think that happens all the time. I love you. I wasn't sure I was getting the rose. Uh, You've been married how many years and, and you have children? How many children do you have? We're in our 22nd year. Our anniversary is coming up in December. And we have four children spanning from 18 years old to six years old. Two boys, two girls. Thank you for that. (laughs) Four offspring. Three in adoption. Yeah, it's full. Life is full. So I... We were around actually in your life when uh, Cade came into your life and Cade is your first, right? And he has Down syndrome. And I know that was just like life-changing for you. Explain, like, tell us a little bit about that and how that impacted you like initially. Sure. Sure. So we were both in our mid-20s and healthy pregnancy and never had really... I didn't have relationships with people with Down syndrome, close ones. And so we got that news six hours after an emergency C-section right at 39 weeks. So we didn't even know anything was wrong until that day when they said we need to get this baby out. And then six hours later, they say we see signs of Down syndrome in your baby. So, But at that point, he was four and a half pounds full term and he was on oxygen and a feeding tube and in the NICU. And so at that point, we were more fighting for his life. The diagnosis was secondary. So we were just wanting him to, you know, get off the IVs and, and breathing help and support. And he couldn't come home till he gained weight to get to five pounds. So we knew we'd have to leave him there. And so it was obviously devastating in a lot of ways because life immediately changed in 24 hours, the trajectory of what we, you know, thought. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, it, you know, as you guys know, walking that with us, it created, it, it forged such a bond with Gabe and I, mm. because we're like, we're in this together. You know, I can't do this without you, vice versa. Yeah, I really recentered bigger picture priorities just in our life and reminded you of what's important and all the expectations maybe that I had as a 
you know, an athlete and I, you know, my firstborn son just had all these expectations, you know, kind of in a moment, all of that was shattered. And there was a new, there was a whole new story that was about to develop that mm-hmm. I could never have expected. And looking back now, he's 18. It's just been amazing how God's used him to teach us so much. And that's kind of the story of our life is how much, you know, struggle and things that aren't quite what you would expect or want to happen in your life or not how you may be mapped it out when you were in college, having fun on the napkin, dreaming about your life, all of a sudden do become these markers that uh, we believe God uses to just shape you. And Mm. yeah, that's good. And then now you have adopted another beautiful girl. Well, Mm -hmm. your first adoption. That's right. So we just this past December uh, made the trip to China to adopt a little girl named Joy, who's six years old now. She was five at the time. She also has Down syndrome. So that's kind of the cool part for Rebecca and I just on this journey was just, man, the first time around when Cade was born, like totally out of nowhere, unexpected, didn't know, just just had to learn a lot about what is Down syndrome. And, and for those who don't know somebody or some of your life with that relationship, you know, they're typically, they're like everybody else, but sometimes it's just going to take them a little longer to learn some things and might take them longer to do some of the physical activities that other people do and cognitive spectrum from, from those who might just act completely typical to those who really struggle with, with delays in speech and, uh, and their ability. But, uh, after, you know, 18 years with Cade, it was like, we had this opportunity to bring another child into our home and Rebecca and I were just completely united. Like we want to adopt a child with Down syndrome because we know that a lot of people are fearful of that. But for some reason, God's brought us through this journey and we, we're not fearful of that. We're excited about it. We know how much it adds to our life, to our community, to our family. Uh, and a huge number of those children, many times because of fear, are terminated and they're, they don't actually have a chance at life. And so we just mm-hmm. wanted to be a part of one child's life and, and having them be a part of our family. So it's been a fun and crazy 10 months of just like getting back into kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. Starting again. Yeah. But I have to thank you guys. You, you were uh, one of the first people in our life who just cared about adoption from the moment you were married. You know, when most people were talking about having that first child is like the only thing on your mind was adoption. And so as I was uh, just mentioning, we were off air, just thank you guys for your, your faithfulness in that commitment to that. And it was a great inspiration. I know it's been throughout our life of yeah. all the families around us who've adopted. So what is international? I mean, we've adopted domestically, but what has international adoption taught you since she's from China? Right. Well, so much because we love uh, just learning more about her culture and, um, you know, she had five years there. So she yeah. definitely took on a lot of things there that became normative for her. She was, um, she was left at a hospital when she was four months old. So we don't have relationships with her family, her birth family. But one of the things we did learn in China is that if you leave a child somewhere and you place them at a police station or an emergency room, it's, it's, it's because you want that child to receive immediate care. And so that's where she was left was in an emergency room knowing, and, and you never know, you never know if someone hung around and watched and waited. Um, we want to, you know, we just know it was a brave act no mm-hmm. matter what. And, mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, 
she was immediately placed in an orphanage that was a little more rural, so not as big. And so they would, you know, we have some photos, not a ton. Then she went to a foster kind of group home, about eight to 12 kids, not, not a family, but very great, like one-on-one care with all the IEs there, which are their word for nanny. Mm. And, um, and then she had to go back to the orphanage about seven months before we got there. But she, but that was the, those were the same caregivers in her life her whole time. Um, but when we brought her home in December, she was, you know, still in a crib in, you know, 20, cri- 20 cribs in a room, a couple hundred kids in the orphanage. So they had some schooling and things like that. But in general, what was amazing to us was just how hungry she was to learn the minute we got her. Like mm. she potty trained herself in two days. <laughs> she wow. got off all formula and bottles in two days. It was just, she was ready. She was like real food and every, everything we give her now, she wants it. She wants more of it. <laughs> she wants, <laughs> she's sitting next to Cade, our oldest yeah. at home. And so basically it's like a, a contest to see who can eat the most. Shout so, out. Yeah. But um, the other thing I was going to say about what Gabe was just talking about, you know, we, we wanted to choose Down syndrome this time. And it doesn't make us like noble or, you know, awesome because we want to choose that. It was more because we really believe that God gave us Cade, you know, 17 years prior because he knew there'd be a joy and we would say yes. Mm. And, and, mm. and it didn't mean that it came with, without fear from me. I'm, you know, Gabe makes a decision and he's like pragmatic. And like, once he's out of conviction, feels this is the right decision. It's like, why do we even need to keep talking about it? <laughs> It's been two whole days. I've never experienced that with him before, right? (laughs) He's like, didn't we? Didn't we already decide on Monday that we were doing this after we found out on Saturday? And you're like, like, why are we still deliberating? I'm feeling a little bit more things now. Can we talk? I need more than 48 hours to make a life-altering decision. I'm sorry. (laughs) So for me, it took it took three to four weeks. Um, It took three to four weeks to. I mean, we were, we were heading there, but we had the holidays to kind of stretch things out and we were matched immediately. Uh, there were a couple other families in line, but we, we were the only ones who qualified for varying reasons. You know, the, the age of the youngest child, how long you've been married, et cetera. So anyways, once we, we really, we knew that while we thought we might be empty nesters, we knew we never really would be with Cade fully. So we're like, we're going to be empty nesters in five years, or we're going to go back to kindergarten. And so we just <laughs> opted for the latter. <laughs> so I, hang on. I want to talk about this decision-making thing because I, the true story, I remember sitting in a breakfast with Gabe one time and we were looking at buying our first house. And I was freaking out and Gabe literally was like, Jeff, you just got to do it. It's like done. Like, it, is it a nice, is it fine? I was like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, you just, okay, then just sign the paperwork and put the offer in. It's like, just do it. <laughs> and I'll never forget. It was like so easy for him. I'm curious when you guys are, cause you guys have made some major life decisions. This is one of those. How do you, yeah. I mean, how do you guys process major decisions like that together? So there's a lot of trust that's been built now over the years on these decisions that have been big decisions, but we are very committed to unity, making sure the two of us 100% agree that this is the way forward. And we wait until that's the case. And if we don't get to that place, we don't do it. So there's just a respect, mutual acknowledgement that we're in each one, we're in each other's lives for a reason. And we need to listen to that and pay attention to that. And Rebecca has incredible discernment that I don't have in wisdom 
many times. Um, and then sometimes I'm a little more of the risk taker and, you know, we'll push a little bit and get ahead. And then I have to just be patient and, and see if she comes along on that or, or if she has a real check about why that's not what we should do. And I have to pay attention to that. But it's lots of, we don't really make the list of like pros and cons. It's a lot of just long conversations. And it feels like there's a moment where when we've said yes to things, we've both just reached that moment and been clear. And then two days later, we regret the decision. No, we meaning me. Rebecca yeah. was like, I don't know that we should really do this. And then we just processed it again. And that's the real time we make the decision is after, you know, we kind of go backwards a little bit and question whether this is really the right decision. And then there tends to be a, a, a resolve at that point that no matter what other difficulties come up or questions that we have, we're now going to work through those together, believing that any of these big decisions are going to have obstacles. Uh, but that doesn't mean you don't move forward. One thing that I've learned over time in the way we make decisions is uh, we feel a prompting to do something and it seems outrageous, unlikely, and yet we can't shake it. And so a lot of times the, the, the decisions that have changed the trajectory of our lives have all always looked like that. They, they required sacrifice, surrender, risk. Um, so it felt like an invitation into something while being terrifying at the same time. So when we moved to Manhattan, you know, when we had Cade, when we nine years later moved to Manhattan and sold most of what we had and started over. And then, you know, I guess eight years later saying yes to joy. So every few, almost every decade, we're, we're, we're like all the chips are going back in the center of the table. And we're literally putting our life up for, you know, surrender. And those are never likely if you don't have a posture of release. You know, if you're holding too tight to the life that you are currently living, you're not going to say yes to those things because you have too much to lose. But we do believe that the things that are costly are the most valuable and we have the most to learn from them. And so adoption is a great example in the last year when, you know, Gabe can make a decision out of conviction. God cares about this and we care about this. And here's a very obvious need. And kind of the backstory is I had told God three years prior, like, if you want this to happen, this adoption thing, I need you to put her face right in front of me and I need, and we'll name her Joy. And then two years later, I get a text from a friend of a little girl right on my phone. And she says, her file's going to the States tomorrow. And I said, what's her name? Why are you doing this? And she said, Cara. And I said, oh, you mean the Greek word for joy. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those stories <laughs> where, you know, be careful how specific you get in yeah. these conversations of what... Because God works in a lot of ways. And for us personally, that was just an invitation at that point. And one thing I do know that even though you say yes, um, because you can't shake it, and you, it doesn't mean that you don't... Um, you don't weigh the risks. You don't. You're not aware of them. You're not like, like naively optimistic. You, you know what you're setting out to do, and you also know it could be far worse than you're imagining, or far better. But you just you know you know that you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and so, in that season of moving forward, my dad, my dad passed away four months after we had said yes to this, and I hit a wave of depression. And I'm familiar with that. It had been about seven years since that had happened prior. And I wanted to, I wanted to run. I wanted to run from the adoption because I was afraid. But what we both had decided is that as long as the doors keep opening and we keep pursuing this, then, then we can just trust that if for some reason it's shut down, 
then we can begin again. Um, we can we can just surrender to that process. And so part of decision making for us is we move forward until the door shuts if we feel prompted that it's a yes. Mm, that's good. So you talk, Rebecca, pretty openly about your depression, anxiety that you struggle, that you have struggled with for a while now. Um, how has this affected you guys together? You know, Gabe has been, he's learned a lot through it just vicariously. <laughs> um, he, as you guys know, in relationship is the steady uh, out of the two of us, I definitely feel fully, and it's been so good to have his his steadfastness in the middle of that. And it's not because he doesn't have empathy, because he certainly does. But thankfully, he's not jumping on that same roller coaster with me. He's able to kind of hear me and let me kind of air some of these things because I think I've learned that if I'm feeling something hard, it's better for me to just have the freedom to talk about it and get it out, knowing that there's intimacy that's forged there, connection is grown and built, and that I'll get past it. I'll move on the other side of it, feeling known and loved through it versus him trying to solve it or change it or rush it. And that's been the biggest lesson, I think, for us through that season. So it doesn't last as long. Um, I can I can recognize it for what it is. And I can know that some of it's just grief. You know, grief is real. You don't want to shortcut grief because if you don't, if you don't grieve, you can't be comforted and you can't fully heal through something if you try to shove it down or pretend it's not there. So he's been so awesome at letting me process some of that out loud, um, even if it takes me a bit of time because he knows it's not going to last forever. Not, not because he doesn't want to be there, but just but that's part of my healing journey is to have someone in my life who loves me even in those moments. What a marriage counselor told us a year ago and helped me a ton was, you know, I'm not as connected to my emotions as Rebecca is. And, you know, I'm more in my head a lot. And that's something I've had to work on and, and make sure my head and heart are connected in these things. And so sometimes listening to, you know, the struggle she's going through, if I can't relate to it, sometimes it, it makes me want to escape that or really not know how to respond. And the marriage counselor just said, look, part of part of what she needs is just your listening ear. She doesn't need you to solve it, doesn't need you to fix fix her or fix anything. That women m- many times are are in a place where they've been designed like they need to just share their emotion and he called it the ocean of emotion which to 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 a husband can sometimes feel that way. And I think it goes both ways. I don't think it's just women to men. I think there are men wired more this way than their wives. But that if we just listen and take it on, like it, it actually helps heal that person just to be able to share it, just to be able to make sure somebody else is getting down in the pit with them and is sitting there with them and holding them in that, even if you don't even know what to say or what the solution is. So that, those are things I've had to learn so that, so that Rebecca doesn't feel alone when she's going through those moments. That's interesting. Um, thanks for sharing that. I, um, on a personal level, I've been wrestling with a bunch of anxiety recently. And um, so it's it's encouraging to hear some of those things. I mean, and even relationally for the two of us, it's been good. Um, okay. So in the last five years, I would say there's been a shift in, I mean, Rebecca, you were behind the scenes in everything for a very long time. Now, very involved. I was in the middle of all those conversations for years, right? <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> and behind the scenes, very involved, but 
from a platform standpoint, weren't always in front, right? Mm-hmm. And in, I, I'm guessing in the last five years, roughly the last five years, you've really stepped forward and your influence has grown dramatically and um, an incredible way. And so I'm curious now um, how you guys are wrestling with things like schedules and like um, who takes priority to do what when. And how, I mean, how do you guys work through that? Because now at because now, I mean, they both have speaking schedules yep, now, and, and they are, both and have people stuff want you guys promoting. to be involved in all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, well, it's not easy, but the good news is it it was a slower, you know, the ramp up to this where we're at now has given us time to like figure it out and to just make commitments and reevaluate all the time how we're doing, knowing that our priority is one another and then our kids and. Um, and we just we try to keep that so high. I mean, Rebecca and I have had some rhythms in our life for years that we just won't sacrifice. Uh, one of those is making sure we get away alone once a year for a few days so that we can just not have the responsibility of children and be able to dream together, think together, plan together, consider what are the big things this year we want to see happen you know, for our family, for our children, for our marriage. Uh, what are the things we're going to quit doing that have drained our time and energy and we just can't do it anymore? And then we do some practical things like like Rebecca and I, we had a mentor just kind of help us think through like schedule a little bit. And we picked how many nights away we would be each month. And we decided to just commit to that. And we brought the children into that as well. And so uh, at one point I was traveling way more and Rebecca wasn't traveling hardly at all. So I was gone maybe six nights a month and she might have two nights a month. She was gone. And then we switched it to, to the current standard is four nights a month that Rebecca can be gone and four, month, four nights I could be gone. She's traveling more than I am. She, her work requires her to be gone more than my work requires me to leave You know where we live in Nashville. And so um, that's given us those, some good boundaries to say no to a lot of things that come up, a lot of opportunities that you're always going to have. It's, you're not saying no to bad things. You're, you're always saying no to great things. So this gets really hard. Because it requires like some of these boundaries, and without those constraints, though, we don't have freedom. Like we don't operate in freedom as a family because you never know whether we're going to be together or not this month, this weekend. So calendar every week, Rebecca and I uh, work hard to sit down with our calendar for the just the week ahead to make decisions about the week ahead, and then we look at the months ahead for travel, and we try to talk through those. Sometimes those go really well. Sometimes there's lots of debate about (laughs) that's a nice way of saying it pretty good at cooking dinner you know like being responsible for the kids you know when she travels and i love that it gives me time with the kids that i otherwise wouldn't have that's focused and dedicated and gets me into their world and then she does the same when i'm gone so yeah yeah we feel an equal weight for motherhood and fatherhood with our with our children and we feel an equal amount of responsibility to live out the calling and the gifts and the responsibilities and even the burdens that we that we carry. So we know that it, there requires cadence for that. Um, there might be a year where um, I'm launching a book and so there it's a little more ramped in that season. And we, we are very intentional to not release books at the same time. Um, so, so even just scheduling out our years, we're usually about two years ahead of our schedule um, on things that are being booked. One to two years, just depending on 
either writing projects or speaking obligations or commitments. Uh, so we can we can carve those out so far in advance to know like these are the dates that are off limits, and we can already get those down and reserve those um, for family. And I'm just so fortunate. The reason I, you know, was home those first 15 years of marriage was because that's just where God had me, and that that was such a pivotal season. And then right as we're leaving for New York, my youngest is starting kindergarten, and so it was just this natural segue into going. Oh, I have these hours now between eight and three o'clock in the afternoon, and what do we want to do? <laughs> where is Rebecca before we had kids? Like, I don't, I forget what she was like, let's figure that piece out again. And so I remember skipping down to union square and taking night classes at Parsons school of design, thinking maybe I go back into fashion or, or, or interior design. And, uh, while I loved all those things and I, I they were such wonderful experiences, bringing me back to some of the the gifts of my youth. Uh, that was also in the same season that I started having panic attacks and, um, walked through a life-changing season. And I really do believe that I've always been a writer because I would process everything privately you know, at home in my journal throughout my whole marriage. But I never thought that that would be something that I could offer some a reader. I thought it was just my own way of... My cathartic way of healing. Um, and you know, I remember at age 33, my mom was pushing my middle son, Pierce, on a swing. And she's like, I always thought you'd write. And I was thinking, well, that would have been super helpful to know in college. I was 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mom. (laughs) Right. I I know. You know, but the thing is, I I was called Becca Book as a kid and readers make writers. A lot of times we think, you know, you just love to voraciously read books. I mean, I would read a new book every couple of days growing up because we didn't have a TV. So, you know, entertainment. So that when I walked through a really hard season, like anxiety and even depression, when I started a healing journey out of that, about 18 months later, I had a story I couldn't shut up about. And I believe that my first book really just came because I had walked through something hard that other people were resonating with. And I almost had language for what other people might not have had in that season that they were in. Um, And so part of writing doesn't mean that you have to be the most brilliant writer, but you have to be honest. You do have to be honest to be good because that's where connection happens. And so when you're honest, the more willing you are to be honest through that process, even the the hard part, as well as the redemptive part, the healing part, then that kind of began, that began my, I guess, finding my voice. And that's been now seven years. So it is fun. It's fun to thing with me. I hold it all super loose because I never had it before. And I don't know how long it'll continue. But I do think um, uh, Gabe and I really care a lot and about inspiration. Keep putting in creativity is our imagination and creativity is stirred by novelty. So I'm I'm a kid who always wants to go, you know, we we took our four kids across eight countries in Europe a month ago. And I was come home so full, like, oh my goodness, my head's about to explode. I'm so inspired. And Gabe's like, I just want to lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> I need a nap. <laughs> he was in charge of all the logistics. And I'm like back in college pretending with my teen kids, like, this and this amazing. So, um, but as long as we're, if we are, if we have creative outlets, if we keep putting inspiring things in front of us, I hope we keep doing that as long as we can, right? That'll keep inspiring us. Love it. All right. So you guys have had the opportunity to sit in rooms with 
I mean, people doing incredible things all over the world. In the midst of it, there's relational challenges that you guys get to sit in the middle of all the time. I'm curious, if you were to sit with someone right now and they're in a long-term relationship, but yet both of them are just hustling left and right and all in and what everything they're doing, what advice would you give them? If you're saying the two of you, you're sitting with another couple and you're like, man, they need to hear this. What, what advice would you give to them about their relationship in, and their work? Well, I think the first advice we would give is just making sure the two of them are connected and on the same page and not running two separate lives. Cause that's the easiest thing to do. It's the most comfortable thing to do. Sometimes it's the way we escape from the challenges that come from a marriage. I think, you know, part of the beauty of, of marriage is the sharpening that happens when you kind of run into one another and you have to, you have somebody else you really have to talk through things with and make decisions together on. And there's a reason you're together. It's not to just go be individuals all the time, but it's actually to come together and be joined together uh, in unity. And so um, the hustling I get, it's important. It's, it's, it's good to work hard. It's good to pursue opportunities that are put in front of you and, but but I have found in some some leaders' lives that they are chronically hustling. So there's they're always in a season that demands more of them, more of their travel, more of them to be gone, more of them to to pursue some new opportunity that's put itself in front of them, and to deny maybe their responsibilities to their children or to be with their spouse. And and I think I, I tend to warn them against that. Like, don't just keep thinking the season you're in is going to end in like three months because you might be in a perpetual habit of thinking you have to keep pursuing the next thing. And that can be a trap and it can become an idol and it can kind of move you down a place where you actually are, you lose heart for the things you've already committed to and you're responsible for. So uh, I would say it's part, part warning, part encouragement to come together again and to sort of reconsider why are we together? what is the opportunity we have uniquely as a couple uh, to serve and encourage one another, but also to pursue the dreams that are in our heart? There's a strong chance if both people in a marriage are hustling, balls are getting dropped. Like needs are not being met because you can't fully execute on outside your home without uh, abandoning some things inside your home. It's just... And and we're not called to go save the world if our fa- if we're losing our family in the middle of that. And so it, that's why that's such a strong priority for us. That's why the days away are... are and, and honestly, in these la- later years... I say later years. I'm pretending like... <laughs> I'm, I'm so decrepit. Um, no. Um, we're in our 40s though. And we've been married over 20 years. And we have, we have an adult man-child. So I guess that makes this feel... Is that me or our... Yes. <laughs> There's two adults. Man-child. Man-child. Um, but... I guess um, in these recent years, rest, like the rhythm of rest has been so profound. Coming off of our season in New York City, landing here in Franklin and Nash- around Nashville, just the, it's just everything slows just enough. You can still be productive, but you realize you don't have to rush everywhere to actually feel fulfilled and full. And like you're in a a story of something that's significant. You don't have to be racing around because often when you're racing around, you don't even have time to celebrate the wins because you just keep forging on and you don't, you don't, so it doesn't foster a heart of gratitude when it does happen. 
So what's the point, right? It's just, you have to stop and ask yourself, why am I striving so hard? What am I trying to prove? It's usually there's a lack down inside that tells you your worth is attached to your latest accomplishment. And the truth is, (laughs) you're going to still have another hill to climb tomorrow and next week and next year. Your worth is not at all dependent on, on what you do. It's about who you are. And so in a marriage, you're going to get to look each other in the eye and say, I believe in you. You're amazing. You could quit what you're doing today because I know like the, the human that you are is the one I fell in love with. And it's the one that I want to keep falling in love with and be with for a long time. And I'm here for you. Like no matter what the next season looks like, you might do a career change. You might move, you know, you might adopt, who knows your family might change, but you know, when you're here for each other, that that relationship matters more than all the output that you're doing outside the home. And so if you land there, you can kind of let that be your kind of the overarching theme for, for how, how you decide to say yes and no to things. And you guys know, I mean, when we, left for New York in 2010 and I tried to twist your arm to get you guys to move. It was close. close. It was close. So close. (laughs) Um, Part of the cost when you look, you know, you get years later and your kids are growing up and you realize, you know, we were pursuing some things during that season. I was, and I drove that move for our family. And I looked back and just saw how our kids had been in, I think five schools in six years. Once we counted the schools there in Atlanta and then they were in Manhattan and the private school, public schools, homeschool, we even homeschool tried that. for a semester. I mean, tried all we the were, things. So they, they just been in everything. And, and here they were like fifth grade, third grade, um, seventh grade. And, and again, had an incredible wise mentor in my life. Just say, look, your kids for this season, middle school, high school, they need to just be, they need to have a home base. Like you can't keep moving around. That's not going to be good for them long-term. So whether it's Manhattan or it's somewhere else, locking into place and making sure they have the settledness of home is important. And I, and I just kind of, in that moment, how much, you know, my own desire or pursuits, they're not just about me. It, It affects everybody and being willing to sort of put that on the shelf and say, no, we need to settle into a place. And that, that ultimately was a motivation to move where we live today so that our kids could just have this a place where they could grow up through these middle school, high school years with friends, with us, the same school, the same church experience, youth group experience, um, and, and have something settled in their life. And so I think sometimes the hustle, sometimes the ambition can sort of cloud the view of, man, this actually affects a generation from now if we're not careful. And so let's, and, and, you know, our faith's really important to Rebecca and I, that's part of how we came together. And so just trusting God in our life that, you know what, he can make up for all that ambition and pursuit that everything you'd try to do in a moment, like he could in a moment, like make all that happen. So let's just like trust that and not take ourselves too seriously. All right. The final question is that we ask every couple, is it possible to change the world, stay in love and raise a healthy family? Yes, it's possible. Uh, one thing I remember a question that we, as you can tell, we're going to reference counseling a few times. I think that's a, that's a healthy thing. It's good. Um, prevention is awesome, especially, I mean, you can certainly go when it's like crisis mode, but prevention sometimes prevents crisis. And so we've had both. We've gone for crisis and we've gone for prevention. But the point is the question uh, we, we learned in that every time we are in counseling is the question we need to always ask each other is what do you need from me right now? Because ultimately our connection 
if it's strong, by being able to answer that question and ask that question on a consistent basis, if that is strong, then that makes our relationships with our children strong. Because then we start asking them. They see us as a united front and they say, mom and dad both care about what we need right now. And they're going to both execute on that in different ways. Like the way I love our kids looks a little different than the way Gabe does, but it's what they need from us right now. And then when we're doing that between us and then we're doing that with our children, then we can go out into the world and ask that of our coworkers or our peers or our friendships or our community. What do you need from me right now? And so it's this, this trickle down um, like outflow, you know, because we, we do feel like we have rested, we've restored our, our heart, soul, mind, our bodies so that we have something to offer. We're not so frazzled because we never pause. And I do think that's what, what helps it to be possible. Yeah, and I, I would say it's possible, although, you know, it's a little more challenging these days to see a vision for that because culturally, you know, a vision of marriage is kind of two individuals that decide to fall in love, you know, and, and live life as long as it's sort of serving and meeting their needs. And then we've kind of been taught through no-fault divorce and other kind of cultural norms now that if you're not enjoying it anymore, or if you think that person's holding you back, just discard them, move on, free yourself from that because it's, it's holding you back. And I think the only way you change the world, healthy marriage, healthy family is you understand this is going to be a fight. This isn't going to be easy. This is going to be a battle to sort of fend off the, the, the things that will distract and pull you away and tell you that you could have more if you were on your own or tempt you towards some of your lesser self instead of to who you've really been designed to be. And so I think when we talk to young couples and help them understand that, hey, some of those fights you're having year one, like, that's normal. Like Rebecca and I had some knockdown drag outs year one. I remember her leaving our apartment complex. I wasn't sure if she's going to come back. I mean, we were like four <laughs> months into marriage and she just said, circling. I'm going for a walk. And she was gone a long Muttering time. Muttering your name. <laughs> under her breath. <laughs> and uh, she did come back. And, and you know, we're 22 years in and we're still learning how to process fights, how to respect one another well, how to listen to one another, how to hear one another. But this has not been without us knowing that it's a challenge, but having an ultimate commitment that we will stay together. Like God willing that like our desire is to work through anything like that. There's nothing that could keep us apart. Now I know when I say that it means, Oh oh man, we're going to probably get tested in that. But I think the reality is marriage is about covenant. It's about something that you've made a commitment for your life to somebody. And so be okay working through the hard stuff, knowing that on the other side, like we're good, so much blessing. And in a culture that doesn't always see that story play out, it brings a lot of hope to younger people who honestly, as you guys know, you know, are kind of not deciding to get married because it does seem like it's kind of a pain. Like, why would I get married? Like right. mm-hmm. what's in it? What's in it for me? I don't know yeah. if this is a good business decision to get married. And, and I think there has to be a vision. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing because you're bringing hope to people to understand it can, this can work and it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy, but it's possible. And, and that's, that's hope that's needed in the world today. And if you're in the middle of conflict right now, you know, Gabe and I will probably have a little banter every couple of days. So just know it's still normal at 22 years because you have two strong opinionated people who are passionate about their work. And that's not going to come like that fire that fuels you to do that work outside the home. It's going to fuel some conflict inside the home, but it's actually a healthy tension because, you know, when you bump up against each other, when you're together coming around something, it actually makes the idea stronger. They pre- mm-hmm. your, your spouse presents things that you wouldn't have thought of because of they, the way they're wired or vice versa. So you want it rounded out. 
if it was just me making every decision without a Gabe filter, I'd probably chronically overshare every day on social media, on Instagram. (laughs) And you'd be like, um, can we just talk about this first? Maybe before you just like declare this to the internet. Um, so that's been good. And, and yet I also feel like through that healthy conflict, if for anyone listening today who is like you, but you don't know us, like our, our knockdown dragouts do not seem repairable. I would just um, encourage you that whatever you're facing right now that feels overwhelming and daunting, it's not the end of the story. It's just not. Tomorrow is a new day and it might require just more intentional, intensive um, support from outside sources, from therapists, from counselors, whatever that looks like. Um, but just make sure you don't shortcut something by just just being like, I'm out, I'm done. Because... There is such a ripple effect of saying I'm out uh, mm. prematurely. Uh, yeah. It affects awake. It not just affects you and, and the person you're with. If there's children, obviously affects them and it affects them and then their future spouses and their children. And this isn't to like judge and condemn. It's more to just go, please consider um, that the weight you feel today doesn't always have to be this way. It might not always look this way. There might be just some things that circumstances that have got you here that need to change and you need counsel from other people who love you and want to see you guys thrive. And now it's time for the breakdown. When you say that, you squint your eyes at me like you're saying it like so tough and angry and ready. It's it's a little it's a little funny. Oh, <laughs> kind of sexy? Is that what you mean? Like, oh, is so that you, the look you were getting? You changed was, funny to sexy. You you were about to say it. I saw it on the tip of your tongue. You were like, hey, hey, baby. He's got it's a okay. big I mean, head today. Listen, he is thinking he is the man today. Listen. Okay. If, if it, you know, if it turns you on a little, I'll do it more. <laughs> God. Let's move on. So... What did you gain? I feel from like this you're a little interview? flustered after this. You're make, I am red. They are great friends. It's fun to see them and to hear from them. Something I thought was awesome. And I'm I'm gonna paraphrase what she said. She said it better than I did. Um, the fire that fuels your passion is the same fire that will probably come out at home. I thought that was like she said it in a woman, she kept going. I was like, oh, I want to camp out on that for a second. Like the truth is most people listening to this, if you're pursuing something of purpose, something that matters in the world, you are a passionate person. Mm-hmm. There's a really good chance of that. You and I, we are very passionate people, right? Yes. And that's what makes us who we are. It's great. This was a really, by the way, it was a nice way of her saying like, hey, you're going to have some knockdown drag out fights at home and that's okay. And so when you're at home and when you, when you care so much about each other, yeah. You're going to have that same level of passion for it. You're going to fight for what a lot of things, yeah. right? I mean, Gabe said, this is a battle. This is a fight. <laughs> yeah, to stay together. Yes, yeah. Um, but sometimes that that passion comes in little things at home that we've experienced. Like, no, I am so passionate about this. And you were so passionate about the opposite. Right. And it's like, oh, whoa, we're just really passionate people. Yeah, which hence means we have a lot of fights. Yeah. It's okay. It's all right. Um, I thought was really interesting when they, when Gabe kind of talked about how it is so easy and comfortable to move into um, 
moving into two separate lives where it's almost like an escape into two separate lives and that that's an easy that's almost the easiest most comfortable place instead of like the difficulty of continuously engaging your partner each other yeah and working through stuff and bumping heads and all the things that it takes because it's easier just to escape and be like, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. Right. Like it's so easy for us to get in our lanes and then forget the other person is actually supposed to be in the same car as us. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think I thought that was really good. Like the, it's easier to go and do your own thing. Which is part of the chronic hustle right. that he was saying. Man, what a good term he used. Yeah. I the love chronic that. hustle is that living two separate lives in a sense, right? Because it just bleeds into the next thing to the next thing. And, you know, you always think, well, it oh, will. It's just a season. Yeah, but it never. And then all of a sudden you turn 50. Yeah, or you look back and you've lost your family. Mm. The oh. chronic hustle. Yeah. Um, I really like. I am sure there are people listening to that thinking, I'm in that. Yeah. I am in that right now. And I look, and if you look back, you go, when was the season that wasn't crazy and wasn't just hustling like crazy? And it's like, I can't remember when that wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, Her question about what do you need from me right now? And just continually asking that question of our partner is really good and really practical to keep doing. Maybe that's the next thing you should tattoo on your arm. <laughs> oh my what, goodness. What do Why I... don't I just put your name across my forehead <laughs> as essentially... I this said, is the Jeff mood no, today. No, no. I would have said it for myself. Like I should tattoo that, but I don't have tattoos. Oh, so then what you want to tattoo should now come onto my body permanently. That'd be a good reminder because I could just see it on yours and I'd be like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to ask her. <laughs> you are ridiculous. <laughs> All right, everybody. We are so thankful that you are here with us today listening. Follow us at Lover Work on Instagram. Go buy Rebecca Lyon's new book right now. Yep. It is The Rhythms of Renewal. And you can pre-order it right now, but it would also be out on October 1st. Thank you. Have a great day. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.